In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and for today's recording, I'm back in my other office in Dusseldorf, Germany. So good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. Welcome back to our returning listeners, and if you're new to the show, let me tell you a little bit about what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please download this series on iTunes, Google Play, and in this series, you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your success. I invite you to connect with me, send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Tell me what you'd like to hear about. I'd love to hear from you. So please send me a mail. If you're in the if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week And we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. And on to today's episode. And today we're going to discuss one of my favorite subjects, a subject that I'm a real advocate for, and that's women in technology. And we've had quite a few guests on this series that are executive women in technology. Beginning in 2017, we spoke with Sandy Lohr, the CEO of Matchcraft. 2018, we spoke with Inhale Ritik, the chief engineer at Georgetown University Hospital. We've also had Nell Watson, a top AI engineer, influencer, and professor. Claire Priestley, CTO of City at University of London. And our own Voice America data and privacy expert, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professors, whose show is on right before this show on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. So next time you come to listen to us, also tune in to Rebecca's show. Now, you can listen to all these interviews, not just on Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America, but also you can go to Google or iTunes. So why is this subject so important and why does it suit us today and why does it fit the goals of this show? is because one of the goals of this show is achieving cultural and gender diversity. Actually, diversity of all kinds and promoting leadership beyond borders no matter what those borders may be. But we have a lot of work to do if we really want to break down the boundaries and have diversity in all industry sectors. And one of the most difficult sectors to do this in is technology. The number of women in tech companies employ has declined from 37% of employees in 1995 to 24% in 2016, when actually this trend should really be going the other way. And there are many reasons why the information technology industry is at the top of the list of industries that do not promote and in many instances don't hire women for important jobs, and we're going to explore some of those reasons today. So today we have a guest who's done a lot of thinking about this and a lot of research about this and has written a book on women in technology. So I'm so happy to have on the show Douglas M. Branson. He is the W. Edward Sell Chair at the University of Pittsburgh. Before joining the faculty at Pittsburgh, Professor Branson taught for more than 20 years at Seattle University. He has been a visiting professor at Cornell University, the Universities of Washington, Hong Kong, and Melbourne, among many others. 
He has been a visiting professor um, pretty much all over the world. And he has also, he was a State Department sponsored corporate governance consultant in New Zealand, Indonesia, Ukraine, Slovakia, Serbia, and Bulgaria. He is the author of 23 books on gender and corporate governances. And Professor Branson has published numerous articles and books and has also published approximately 75 law review articles in the fields of corporate law, corporate governances, and securities regulation. His new book, The Future of Tech is Female, How to Achieve Gender Diversity, is published by New York University Press and now available. So Douglas, um, if I may say, Doug, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you. You make me sound better than I really am, probably. <laughs> no, I don't think so. With a resume, with a history like this, it's fantastic, and I'm so excited. So, let let's start out with the new book, "The Future of Tech is Female." Uh, what prompted you to write this book? Well, I've written three books on gender diversity, and I've written maybe 15 law review articles. I started back about 2000. And I'm a father of daughters, and I think fathers of daughters in this day and age want their daughters to be able to do anything that a son could do. And that goes back 30 or 40 years ago when young women started playing uh, football, soccer, uh, basketball. They can do anything uh, in this day and age. And the second impetus was I had a colleague, uh, Janet Ainsworth, who wrote an article about how women speak differently in a different register, they don't use imperatives like men do. They do uh, they, they do a lot of verbal hedging. They, rather than an imperative, they'll say, well, don't you think so? Or isn't that the case? Or what do you think? Or And uh, the linguists have shown that that means nothing. It, male dominance traditionally have interpreted it as women are more emotional. Women are less analytical. And the linguists show that isn't the case. My colleague took that into account in writing a piece for the Yale Law Journal about custodial interrogation of women as uh, defendants, as witnesses. It was in a criminal law context, but I thought it was very uh, relevant to the corporate setting. So those are a couple of the early influences I had in the late 90s, uh, about the turn of the century. Uh, and then I've, I wrote a book called No Seat at the Table about the lack of women directors in 2007. And then I wrote a book 2010 called The Last Male Bastion about uh, women CEOs. That's really interesting. And, and as a father of, of daughters, then you've also probably watched them with their careers and, and trying to s- struggle with this gender diversity issue. But it's um, in this last book on the future of tech is female. It's not just about tech. I mean, you said the first time it caught your eye was on the criminal. It was in a criminal law context on linguistics. So this goes across all industries or or not. Yes, it does. I mean, I use tech as an example, not as an ultimate goal or objective. And the reason I use tech is it has the worst record in promoting women into senior management positions. Only about 4.7% of the senior officials uh, in the tech companies I surveyed, and I surveyed about 115 of them, are female. So that's the worst of any industry. Transportation is very bad. It's about 7%. Financial services is is bad. So the goal of the book was really how to achieve gender diversity in any type of industry, not just in tech, but tech was used as an example. And the editors, uh, people listening out there might not know, uh, authors don't always have a final choice as to titles. And the editors chose this title, The Future of Tech is Female. And it's appropriate because the book uses tech extensively as an example. And there are other industries. Okay, tech, I'm hearing tech is one of the worst, but then there are some, there are some industries maybe like marketing or retailing or, or food that have maybe a little bit better quota. Um, why do you think there's such a difference between tech and some of these other industries? Well, I, I think that tech... 
is uh, is a throwback. Uh, it's like the, they claim they're a meritocracy. But, you know, 50 years ago, uh, the male dominance uh, chose people for promotion or for fast tracking uh, based upon whether those people looked like they did. You know, did they wear yeah. the same kind of ties? Did they buy their clothes at the same places? Did they um, belong to the same clubs? And today, it's... It's the same, but the powers that be in tech choose people who look internally rather than externally like they once did. So they choose people that are kind of geeky, nerdy, mathematically oriented, tech-oriented. Tech um, and so one of the things that, that that has resulted in is hundreds of thousands of people from India coming on the H-1B visa program. My son-in-law works for Google in, in marketing and business development. He goes to India about twice a year. I mean, Google has 100,000 employees, I, that's a guess, in, in Bangalore. And um, so what I think is happening is fast-forwarding 50 years later, the dominance, especially in tech, are choosing people who look just like they did at one time, except it's internal rather than external. Uh, Doug, you'd think, uh, or I would think, or something with the, with the, you know social media today and the change, um, that there might be more women on boards. But when you look at you know you companies such as Twitter and Facebook, um, they have very few or no women on boards at all. I mean, what kind of signal is this setting in the industry when we're when we're trying to all focus on diversity when they have no women? Well, I think Facebook is a good example. Both Facebook and Twitter went public with no women on their boards of directors. Um, Facebook, in the first 100 employees, one was a woman, and then uh, they hired a second woman, but she was in marketing, and she was paid one-third of what the engineers and the technical people were, were paid. Then uh, Mark Zuckerberg married uh, Patricia Chan, who's a of, I think of Vietnamese descent, and uh, she prodded him, and so Facebook announced that they were going to adopt a structured search requirement that would require the finalists for any position to include a minority. But they've never released any results, so they obviously haven't progressed very far in implementing that program. Mm -hmm. So they have a tin ear. I don't think they're necessarily evil or sexist. It's just Tenier. Tenier, yeah. And I like and you said something about pay and you gave the example of the pay. Because it's not it's about getting the seat at the table, which is the name of your other book, and it's also about pay. And there was a suit by the Department of Labor in the United States, which actually school sued Oracle and Google over perceived payment dis, um, disparities between men and women. And you know, maybe you could Talk a little bit about that because it's you know we're talking about getting women in the channel and getting them at the table, but then also there's a second half about pay. Well, there's a book uh, called Women Don't Ask by a couple of um, professors from up the street at Carnegie Mellon University, and uh, they attribute a lot of um, women's lack of promotion uh, and that women feel they have to have a hundred percent of the qualifications. Mm -hmm that are listed in the posting for a job uh, or a vacancy. And men, you know, hey, I, I got 40% of those things, I'll go for it. And then when negotiating for salary and benefits and vacation time and that, men are much more assertive than women are. So um, the lawsuits aside, and I must confess I haven't kept up to date with those lawsuits, I think the Department of Labor has sued uh, Google and a couple of the other uh, large tech companies. But uh, one explanation is, is women don't ask, but it's a tightrope. Women can't be too aggressive because that will be held against them. It's more difficult for a woman to progress upward in a corporate organization than it is for a man. A man can go a long way being aggressive. A woman, they'll call her a bully broad or mm -hmm. some other derogatory term. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's unfortunately very true. Doug, we're going to take a quick break here. And um, for when we come back, I'd like to dig into this a little bit further and and, and kind of stay around this tech subject and, and Silicon Valley and what's happening there. And for our listeners, we're speaking with Douglas M. Branson. He is the W. Edward Sell Chair at the University of Pittsburgh and author of the new book uh, that's just been out in July 2018, The Future of Tech is Female, How to Achieve Gender Diversity. He's also the author of three other books on gender diversity. He was a state department-sponsored corporate governance consultant in New Zealand, Indonesia, Ukraine, Slovakia, and Serbia, and Bulgaria. And he's also the author of 23 other books, I hear. Fair. Uh, Doug, is that true? 23 other books, my gosh, and articles. A lot of writing, Doug. But his insights are great, and you can reach out to Doug on uh, the webpage lawpit.com. Edu. He's also under Twitter at the future of tech is female, and on Instagram over uh, by the future of tech is female. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, CEO, leadership trainer, and business expert. You can contact me with questions at leadershipbeyondborder at gmail.com or join our LinkedIn group at Leadership Beyond Border or go to my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. So thank you, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. Actually, they're already here. Digital technology just keeps on moving forward at a faster pace. And as human beings, we need to know what's next. Join host Dave Gerber for Preparing for Robots. We take an inside look at AI, robots, and new technology to better prepare you for the future. If you're concerned about your future value and the impact of all things digital on business, You need to listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, and today we're speaking with Douglas M. Branson. He is the W. Edward Sell Chair at University of Pittsburgh and the author of a new book that's just come out, The Future of Tech is Female and How to, How to Achieve Gender Diversity, and it's from New York University Press, came out in July. He is also the author of No Seat at the Table and also the Last Male Bastion, Gender in the CEO Suite. And you can find all his books on Amazon. So, um, Doug, when we were talking, we were talking about this tech and we're talking about, you know, why there's no seat at the table and, and, and what's happening in the, in the, in the tech industry. And, um, when I think of the tech industry, I also think of Silicon Valley, okay? And I uh, worked in the tech industry, and I worked for some venture capital also. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of women around. And I actually remember, Doug, and I don't know if you remember that show Silicon Valley and and the advertising they had, and all you saw was, like, these four guys there, okay? <laughs> so, um 
what you know what's happening and what kind of role does 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 Silicon Valley play in this gender bias situation? Well, uh, gender bias is probably the strongest in information technology uh, among all major industries, and. Um, I think there are several reasons for it. One of the reasons is uh, the STEM emphasis. I think the STEM emphasis needs to be changed. It's not bad, but it has to be tempered or uh, uh, changed because I show 27 senior executives that are female in information technology, and only two of them have STEM backgrounds. 25 of them have uh, business, uh, overwhelmingly MBAs, and about four or five of them have business-oriented law degrees. And, and I have in the book a quotation from uh, one of the founders of Google, Larry Page, and he says, you know, what we really want is people with uh, te- technical literacy, but that have an idea of how to finance things, how to put things together how to market things, how to scale a product, and the like. And that's an MBA-type education. All the emphasis now is on STEM, 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 and I think it might be kind of a cop-out by the industry, you know. Well, we'll push them into STEM, and we'll wait 10 years, and then we'll see where we are. And, um, you know, the high school near me just built a 50,000-square-foot building at $10 million for STEM education. At the airport, there's a huge banner from Chevron. Kids who do STEM and science get jobs. Well, one of the things I've learned about studying executives generally is you can't be lopsided. You can't be all marketing. You can't be all sales. And and it's you can't be all finance. And you can't be all tech. And, and that's where STEM seems to want to lead women. And, and so I think the emphasis on STEM and the and this wholesale pushing of it by the tech industry is kind of, it might be a snare and a delusion. I, you know, that's a strong statement, but. Why, why do you think we, I mean, why do you think we push so much? Was it because we, we didn't have enough um, young girls studying science or, or technology, and then all of a sudden these, these programs just kind of cut a tunnel vision and said that's the only way to the CEO suite? Because as you said, and what I heard you say, is that you need a pretty rounded background to take on a board position on day um, CEO position. Where do you think this came from, this emphasis on STEM? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a broader trend towards instrumental instrumentalization in education generally. So mm-hmm. teaching kids how to write a business letter or a memorandum, that's secondary. It's, uh, it's mathematics, engineering, computer science, and that sort of thing teaching uh, kids what it means to be a good citizen and um, participating in your community and your state. Uh, that's no longer touched upon in, in schools. And so STEM is kind of a, 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 seg- a segment of that, a big segment um, of that. And we've got to get away from uh, this instrumentalist approach to our education and back off. I mean, here in the States, we have um, these standardized tests now. And so teachers are judged upon how well they teach to the standardized tests. Well, the standardized test doesn't test the literacy for writing a letter or for being a good citizen. And so I think STEM is just, it's, it's an outgrowth of our, of our misdirection in education. Mm-hmm. And it's not really helping the, the gender gap is what you're saying. No. Or am I hearing? Okay. And um, what about uh, what about other issues? Okay, such as as other issues that may be impacting um, us and and not you know kind of challenge you know being opposites what we want to achieve and not you know so because we're not achieving this um, we're not closing this gap. So what about what about things like? 
all of the foreign workers, okay, or uh, and the um, the visa program. And you mentioned that the H one B visa program because it's it, it's really easy to get people to come in now and do technological jobs, and then they can stay three years or they can stay six years. Is this affecting at all the the ability for women to find jobs in the workplace? I was just thinking of that. Um, a visa ordinarily to come into the United States, you have to overcome the presumption of immigrant intent. You have to prove that you have a home or a house back uh, in your native country that will bring you back there, and then your visa is only good for 60 or 90 days. The H-1B visa for college graduates is for three years, and it's a dual intent visa. You can have an intent to stay here permanently, and you can apply for a residency or even citizenship, and the visa is automatically renewable for three years, giving you at least a six-year window. And, and so overwhelmingly, not overwhelmingly, exclusively, the the engineers and techs that Silicon Valley is hiring are foreign-born. They're Indian, mainly. And uh, I don't think that they think about how it crowds out minorities and women who may be deserving but may need a little more lead time to get acclimated in their positions. If you go to Seattle, where I frequently go, um, at noontime, where where Amazon, which is a big player in tech that most people don't know about, and Google and Facebook have buildings 15 stories high, chock-a-block, all the workers on the street at noontime look to, appear to be Indian. And the food trucks serve curries and, and tandoori chicken and vindaloo and Indian dishes and I don't mean to be xenophobic, but um, it's a tightrope, you know. I mean, uh, this is a nation of immigrants. We should have, but but also women hold up half the sky, and uh, as Mayo uh, once said, and and that's a vital part of our society, and it's a vital part of European societies and societies elsewhere, and. Tech is not uh, recognizing that, you know. Instead, they're bringing in these people on this visa program, and most of them stay here permanently. And uh, I don't have any objection to that per se, but it's the numbers, it's the extent mm-hmm. to which they're pursuing it. And, and I think it's the opportunities, and and that comes back to to, you know, there's always there's one thing that's out there in the market that makes me crazy when I when I talk to companies and they say, they say, well, there just not, aren't enough candidates out there, and I hear that in Europe um, under the initiative of. 40% women on boards and publicly owned companies, you know, sorry, we don't have the candidates. And what do you, how do you feel about that statement? Do you hear that from companies and do you think it's true or not true? <laughs> well, I, I, it may take a little more lead time to get, get female or minority uh, uh, employees acclimated and, and on a faster track. Uh, than someone who's uh, a, a techie and ranked very high in their high school in India. Um, but I think there has to be some patience. Then uh, I read some books about uh, women in coming into business during World War I, and many companies had what they called vestibule training, where the companies themselves provided uh, training for women to get acclimated and take the place of men who are off fighting the war. And that kind of died after the peace. And then it came again during the Second World War, and it kind of died again. You know, Rosie the Riveter had to go back to household work. But that's another uh, thing that the, that the tech industry could be doing at very low cost. So less reliance on the H-1B visa, maybe some form of vestibule training, and then I'm probably talking too much, but the big one of the big things is the, is reforming the gaming industry, which is so sexist you would not believe mm-hmm. it. All the managers are are men. Uh, the the all the games uh, 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 surround the, uh, surround are surrounding killing people, scoring goals, 
things that have no interest to young girls. And then the figures in the games themselves are all male except for cartoonish, buxom uh, women who usually are raped or killed as part of the as part of the game. And until the the gaming industry is reformed, that gateway to computer science, that means of getting your head under the hood, so to speak, is denied to young women and young girls, where it's right up the alley for males. So we have to get some balance in the gaming industry. We have to reform the industry. And I think the tech giants should be leaning very heavily on the on the people who control things in, in the subset of tech companies that does video and computer gaming. And when you, when you talk about that, I, and I never even thought about the gaming industry, and that's a really good point on it is driven. It, it's male-dominated, and the games are male-dominated. But do you think do you think the leaders in this industry actually realize this? Do they have their ears on this in diversity or not? The leaders in the gaming industry, or yeah, yeah, in gaming first, in gaming I industry. I think the people in gaming industry have no I, no notion of uh, liberalizing things, and I think they know how sexist and monomaniacal they are. But it affect it would they're afraid it would affect the bottom line if they changed anything. But we're going to have a gaming industry pretty much where all young boys are directed toward blowing things up and shooting mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And actually, I mean, affecting the, when you talk about affecting the gaming industry and bottom line, if they actually thought about it a different way, there's a whole market out there that's, that's being ready to be served. Okay. Um, Little girls like to play, you know, technology is here. Everybody uses their computers. Everybody, you know, um, plays things on their on their tablets. And so there's a market that's not even being reached. So maybe if we can kind of steer them in that direction, that might help a little bit. Only about 5, 5% of the output is directed towards females. And it's called derogatorily pinkware. And it's mm. also called shovelware because it's simple kind of idiot games that they throw towards young girls. 95% of the output is directed towards adolescent males. Mm-hmm. But then there are their toys that I'm thinking of on um, the toy. They are new, new games or engineering for like Goldie blocks that focus on girls and maybe if we can get them but with only five percent then that's that's a statistic that needs to change in order to move the envelope in the right direction is what i'm hearing yeah you're you're preaching to the choir yeah (laughs) okay good so um doug we're going to take a a quick break again okay and um and this is really interesting i could talk about this all day (laughs) and maybe we can have some messages when we come back before we end for the leaders in these industries and for our listeners we are talking with douglas branson and he is the w edward sell chair at the university of pittsburgh and the author of quite a few books on gender diversity and his latest book is the future of tech is female how to achieve gender diversity and it's from new york university press came out in july please download it um another book one of my favorite ones was no seat at the table that's also on amazon please download that book doug is also a expert on corporate governances and he was a consultant in new zealand indonesia ukraine slovakia serbia and bulgaria and the author of a numerous, uh, uh, numerous articles and numerous books on gender and corporate governances. You can reach him at law.pit.edu. He is on Twitter and Instagram under The Future of Tech is Female. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, a CEO and leadership expert, uh, head of the Women's Leadership Academy 2020 here in Europe. And you can reach me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or join our LinkedIn group at Leadership Beyond Borders or go to my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. And with that, we'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and today we are talking with Douglas M. Branson. He is the W. Edward Sell Chair at University of Pittsburgh and the author of several books on gender diversity and corporate governances. His newest book is The Future of Tech is Female, How to Achieve Gender Diversity. It came out in July 2018, this year, just a couple of months ago, with New York University Press. Um, he also has a few, quite a few other books, and one of my favorite is No Seat at the Table, and you can get these on Amazon. Now, um, Doug, we've been we've been talking a lot about the state of what's out there and what's happening out there, okay, and how we need to change it. But I guess uh, let's talk about why it's so important to change it. You know, what what why is it so important that the tech industry? Why do they need women? Can we talk about that? Well, sure. I mean, we can talk about uh, the promises and the verbiage that has been floating around since at least the late 60s, the early 70s, you know, and and it's all been talk and, and there's been no movement uh, or no actual developments on the corporate side. And um, instead, if there is anything advocated, it is pointed towards women, do this, do that, do this, do that, lean in, don't lean in, be aggressive, do this, network. In our society, it's very important that that we have inclusion of everyone, um, every minority, and, that, and, and it's not just a sociologically important, it's, there's a business case for it. Um, it, it improves, uh, it uses the brain power of a society. And we contrast it with, uh, I don't mean to step on any toes, but some of the Islamic countries that don't allow women to work or perform in, in, in any meaningful way. And, and they're very backward economically and technologically. Um, so a, a couple reasons is just, you know, the, the promises that have been made. And, and two... Um, the importance of inclusiveness in a society that regards itself as modern and technologically somewhat advanced. And when you talk about inclusiveness, and I always reflect on the fact, um, you know, this is 2018 and we have 5% uh, CEOs or 5% women on boards, um, in Fortune 500, and in 1985, when I started my career, it was about four to five percent. 
1965, when my mother was an executive, it was 4 to 5%, okay? And today, today we have 50% of the consumers are women. So this is just really off balance. Well, I think that um, it is off balance. Um, and where the statistics are better, like in directors on, on boards, the premier organization is Catalyst out of New York, but they're funded by Microsoft, General Motors, and the like. And they don't report the statistics accurately, I think. They continually, continuously count the number of directorships held by women as the number of female directors. And there's a big difference because corporations choose the same women over and over again. I call them trophy directors. It's the biggest growth trend in in female directors. And so the actual number of female bodies is far less than 21%. It's about 14, maybe percent. And, um, And female CEOs is much lower. And female... Uh, senior executives, it varies much uh, from industry to industry, but as I pointed out, information technology is the worst. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, they're, they're games being played, and I, you know, I mean, I don't know for certain, but I think Catalyst, the lead organization, pulls its punch somewhat because it gets its funding from the very people who should be criticized. <laughs> Uh, very good point. Very good point. So, Doug, I mean, we're trying to move the envelope a little bit here and trying to get this changed. But what what can we do to do this? I mean, what can companies do? And what can women ourselves do? Um, you talk in your book about some programs that might be able to help better gender balance. What are those? Oh, well, uh, adding a sponsorship component to mentoring. I mean, mentoring has been the advice given to women, get mentors, get a lot of mentors. And they've been giving that advice, that is, the book authors, for 40 years. And the complaint that comes through loudest today is, I've been mentored to death, and it's led me nowhere. Or women say, you know, I've been mentored for seven years, and I'm still in the same position. I just moved laterally, maybe, within my company. So in Australia, they decided to add a sponsorship component. They signed up 100 chairpersons. Australia is a very small country, so you know there are 200 major corporations. Our Fortune 1000 here in the U.S. would be the ASX 200. And they signed up half of the company chairpersons who agreed to sponsorship of women that they mentored for a few months, less than a year, and to get them a seat on a, a, on a publicly held company board. And the number of, of women, female bodies, went from 8% to 21% in about 16 or 18 months. So that's an idea that should be thought about in various countries. Um, the pledge programs, uh, the Netherlands tried this, and they were very successful. They got major corporations to define goals and then to pledge to reach those goals. But then the Commissioner for uh, Diversity in the European Union tried the same program and it fell flat on its face. I think in a year, maybe three or four major corporations in the whole European Union of 450 million people, only three companies signed up and the European Union abandoned the program. But that's a program that could be played with, might work, some industries. Um, another program is Comply or Explain, which is the London Stock Exchange has that. The Australian Stock Exchange has that. Um, you have to define what your objectives are in terms of diversity, and then you have to report periodically about your progress toward those goals, and then some people call it an if-not-why-not program. If you don't have the goals or you haven't made progress toward those goals, you have to explain why not. Those are comply or explain type programs. Um, quotas, of course, are big in the European Union, but I don't. As, as I said earlier, I don't think that they would they would fly in the United Kingdom or in New Zealand or Canada or the United States. They've been tossed about in Australia, but they haven't 
really gotten anywhere. Germany, where you're sitting now, um, did adopt a, a quota system, but 30% rather than most of the European programs are 40%. That was the original Norwegian program. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Germany was kind of dragged into it, kicking and screaming all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, another program is what is called a structured search, where in the short list for any senior position, uh, you have to have at least one minority, and that minority has to get a, a, what we call a callback. They have to come and have a physical interview. A telephone interview won't do it. And um, that's called the Rooney Rule. It was very successful with uh, uh, recruiting um, and hiring uh, African-American football coaches, general managers, and now some senior front office personnel for professional football, gridiron football teams here in the United States. So those are a few of the ideas. I mean, I have about 15 ideas uh, in the book, and I evaluate them whether or not they would be um, suitable for, um, for a given country, mainly the United States, and if not, how they might be ad- uh, uh, adapted to conditions here. Mm-hmm. Um, on that, on what you're talking about, the Rooney Rule, uh, that was the first time I had ever read that because I, I'm not really an American football person, and even though, um, but that was really interesting. If you want to just uh, explain our listeners a little bit more on that, it was really about that most of the uh, players were were African American and the coaches weren't. Can you just give us an insight into that? Well, 70% of the players are in the National Football League are African-American. And uh, I think there was, from time to time, only one coach who was African-American. At other times, there were none. And so the National Football League owners appointed a committee led by Dan Rooney, who was, oddly enough, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, where I'm, you know, I'm sitting in Pittsburgh now. And... Uh, this is what they came up with, a structured search requirement. It's not a quota system. It's less than a quota, but um, it resulted in, uh, I think, the coaches in the National Football League went from zero or one to um, eight or nine out of 30 uh, in, in, the, in, the, in a very short period of time. And it's receded a little bit. It comes and goes. It goes better some years. And, you know, the coaching profession is like a game of musical chairs. But uh, it's an idea. And Facebook said it was going to try that. But that was two years ago. And we haven't heard any reports from Facebook. I don't think it's worked well for them. But I'd have to take a closer look at it. Mm -hmm. So. That's the Rooney rule or the structure. It's really more properly a structured search requirement. And the problem is it doesn't work very well in the decentralized uh, economy. You have to have within a specific industry and you have to have a consent of the companies in that industry or most of them. And then you have to have a kind of a centralized watchdog for that industry that you know, keeps people's feet to the fire and makes sure that they they do conduct these structured searches. But I, what I'm hearing from you, Doug, is, you know, and for our listeners, there are actions we can take. Um, I can just make a comment on the quotas in the European Union. Not everybody liked them. Everybody, some countries went kicking and screaming. But for me, watching what's happening in companies, at least it's pushing the envelope a little bit and um, making people aware, you know, whether that would work someplace else. I couldn't, I don't have the insight to that. But I think with all these programs and everything, we have a lot of leaders listening, industry leaders, um, and we have a lot of tech leaders listening to this. If you had one message for them, Doug, what would that be? Oh, well, this comes after my first book. I was at a cocktail party, and there were a lot of people high above my pay grade. And um, one person who was the chief executive officer of a a sizable publicly held company, and uh, We talked about my book, and he said, you know, I have a lot of female employees. He said, what should I tell not only my female employees, but all of my employees? And I told him, 
after some thought, you have to tell them that we will bend over backward to treat everyone in this organization equally. If you have an aged parent and you need time off, we're going to try and help you do that. If you have opted out to have children, we're going to have a welcome back program. We're going to try and keep you informed about the company. And we're going to do our darndest to get you back in, in the fold. Uh, we're going to have a dial up and dial down features for careers. So people who want to dial down to three days a week for a few period of time can do that. The only difference that should be made among any employees is the biological difference that's uh, that's inescapable, and that is that women bear our children. And that's probably the most important thing that happens in our societies is the propagation of the race. And so for that biological difference, that's the one exception to the rule of complete equality. But lesbian, gay, African-American, female, everybody is going to be treated with dignity and respect and equally. And I think that is a great way to end the show, Doug. And for our listeners, we've been speaking with Douglas M. Branson, the W. Edward Sell Chair at the University of Pittsburgh. And he is the author of over 23 books on gender and corporate governances. His newest book is The Future of Tech is Female, How to Achieve Gender Diversity. Came out in July, available on Amazon. Uh, one of my favorite books is No Seat at the Table, another book that Douglas wrote. And Douglas can be reached on Twitter and Instagram under Future of Tech is Female. And you can reach him out through his webpage at law.pit.edu. And Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Great insights um, because the future is tech. The consumer, the w- women are the future of tech, and we are certainly the consumers of tech right now. So um, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Okay. And uh, for our listeners, I'm Kimberly Lewis. We have a wide range of great guests on this series. And what I said before is one of our focuses diversity. Please tune on in to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Reach out to me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or download us on iTunes and Google Play. And with that, please remember to tune in to us next week and download and listen to our series. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.